Hey there, we at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it for the win. Welcome, Dunks and Discourse, episode 11, and this is, this is going to be, I don't know if I'm going to say penultimate, because that's a lot of hype, but this is going to be an episode, like Jabari and I, we keep, in the show notes today, where we're going over the notes, what we want to talk about, and no, 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 save that, save that for the show, save, save that for the show, there is a lot, so I'm going to give a quick rundown, we are going to get to the Southeast Division, Mount Rushmore, we did the Central and the Atlantic in previous episodes, if you want to check that out. We're going to talk Last Dance, Episode 7 and 8. These are the best two episodes of the series so far. Episode 7, far and away the best. We are going to chop it up. We are also going to talk a little bit about Kevin Durant's latest Twitter dispute. And we'll talk a little bit about movies and what are you binging at the end. But man, Jabari, I am, I'm, excited. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. you know, as, as we kind of discussed in the, you know, in the pre-show... Heading into this week, to this weekend's episodes, I thought, okay, you know what? Ultimately, this isn't going to be the greatest documentary, but I'm in, I'm enjoying it, so it is what it is. But those two episodes that we just watched that put it that put it back in the conversation for a, an actual great documentary. Yeah, and he, I'm just gonna walk you, the listeners, through my process watching this doc. And it was initially, we've got nothing else. This is. NBA Twitter family time. I'm stoked to watch this doc, even if it's a large part PR. Um, great first couple episodes. And then the last four, I was like, this is self-serving. I feel like they're skip- cutting some corners. I'm not sure I'm with all of this. I, it was it was losing me a little bit. I was, still, I was still enjoying it for what it was, but it was losing the must-watch television factor for me. And then watching episode seven, man, did it pull me back in. Just wow, yeah, and 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 like and like we kind of discussed, they were very clearly you know taking you know taking a bit of a runway in order to set this up. And yes, it was self serving, as any documentary about generally a singular you know a singular individual. Now, while of course it's about the Bulls, we know this is the Jordan doc. Uh, you know, any 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 doc like that's going to be somewhat self serving, and especially you know about Michael Jordan when he holds you know when he holds all the cards. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but yeah, no. Th- th- this feels like it's about to ramp up, and, and we're going to get some epic, you know, epic uh, last couple episodes. Yeah, and I gotta say, like this, this one just hit home for me in a bunch of ways. Um, we finally, we we talked about this before. We wanted more time spent on on him and his father, and they did mm-hmm. do a good job of building this up. And uh, so we obviously go through Jordan losing his dad and his decision to walk away from basketball. Um, we we see a lot of his practice antics. Um, specifically with Scott Burrell in episode seven and episode eight, we do get the punch conversation with Steve Kerr. But <laughs> let, let's let's spend a moment on his dad. And, and here is the the uh, piece of it that I'm most interested in. You might have a different part. The journalism coverage. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you and I, I mean, we're in the jokes greater than facts era. I half joke and and half believe the conspiracy that he was suspended and have for some time. But there, there's an even, you know, darker shade here where you're getting people writing that he was involved and if not involved, you know, perhaps caused the death of his father due to gambling debts. That, you know, I, I never really thought about it in this light. Um, but man, reading that shit as you're going through the death of your father, that that was the angle of this that really struck me. Yeah, I'm so happy that they brought you know that they brought all of that to light because look, admittedly, I was a teenager when all of this go was going down. So I was while I was familiar with the basics of it, I never knew all of the details surrounding it, you know his father's death. Uh, you know, I definitely didn't remember that he was missing for three weeks. I just remember the story about, you know, the car, you know, and, and even at, that the car was stripped. I just basically remember the story about him being robbed. And then I figured, OK, well, you know, during the robbery, he got, you know, you know he got murdered and, and that was it. Uh, you know, it was a very different time in, in the sense of, you know, we, you, we didn't have just you know, all of the resources about everything else in the world that is taking place at, you know, at our fingertips, you know, like at, at, at the drop of a hat. So. I, I appreciated that they showed that, but you're you're exactly right. You hit it on the head. It was disgusting how that was covered, and it, it, what it really goes to show you is none of this, none of the crap that goes on today is new. Yeah, and the only thing that, you know, on a, on a serious note, the documentary doesn't say anything about where Carol Baskin was um, at that time. She, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ, <laughs> bro! I'm like, I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> no. Uh, you know what? Like that, that, we we talk a lot, and we have about the give and take between players and media and fans, and the relationship and how it can be tenuous. And I was, I think, four when Jordan's dad was murdered, and so like I, I knew the story that he pulled over, um, but but I, I just think, obviously, that hit him. And of and course. what you you can believe the gambling conspiracy, and mm-hmm. you can believe Michael had a problem, but how did Michael Jordan owe so much money? That his dad, like, it doesn't even, it doesn't really fit, right? It doesn't, it doesn't seem plausible in any way that that was the reason his dad was killed. So, and, and to read that and have to be asked about that and see that is, it's definitely enough for a man to want to walk away for a minute. Well, think about how we see things, you know, how we see like news and information or even rumors disseminate, you know, via social media now, you know, via Twitter. Even if there's some truth to something, it'll it'll always mutate into this. And it's like, oh, well, not only did he get suspended, which, to be honest with you, I have always been at least somewhat you know, a believer in. But he also did that. No, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. You know what I mean? The, like it, That is more of like a bloodlust thing to me. That's mm-hmm. more of a oh well hey well you know how it goes you you, know, you start dealing with these mob figures you know I watch casino like it, like it doesn't have to be that for you know you know for you know for Mike to have been you know uh, you know have gotten in trouble for gambling yeah and I it it, it it's just a tragic thing man and yeah. you know seeing how his relationship with his father it I I go back and forth because this is a documentary that was quite real but they link her on his face like. I could almost feel like the the cameraman wanted Jordan to cry because he was holding back the tears. Yeah. And th- there there were some awkward shots in this episode where they were like really hanging in to make you feel it, but I get it. And, and, and given how much shit he went through and how much was thrown at his door during this time, I get them wanting to hammer home just how hard this period was in his life. Especially because it really it it really you know backs up the fact that. 
even if you know whether it was a sus- suspension or not, Jordan probably would have needed some time off regardless. You know what I mean? Like you know, whether he whether he you know that you because you believe the conspiracy theories or any of the you know any of that information, that run. You know, being on the back end of that streak and to have that take place. And, and again, that is specifically why I wanted them to show what the dynamics were with his dad and just how pivotal and how important he was and, you know, what type of you know figure he was in his life. Uh, to, you know, to suffer that loss at that time. Yeah, it, it's it's a true it's truly a tragedy. Uh, but I am I look. If, if, if anybody wants to say that was self-serving, you know, whatever, he absolutely should have shown that. And I'm glad they did. The the next part of this episode was was him walking away mm-hmm. and going to baseball, um, and I'm try I'm trying to compare it because again I didn't get to live it live, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think about you know his eventual return and how it compares to like LeBron coming back from Miami to Cleveland and I mean the parallels are easy there but like him taking on if, if LeBron didn't take on basketball if LeBron went to play tight end for the Browns, mm-hmm. it, it it is really just. It's it's a crazy story, man, and um, I like uh, Terry Francona is that his manager who was mm-hmm. his manager of fun baseball mm-hmm. talking about how you know people kind of rolled their eyes and that was the thing to do, but you could feel how much how committed he was. I think he said how much he respected what he did there, but like he really he really did want to play. He was giving it his all, kind of thing. Yeah, and and that's another aspect of it. Again, I was a teenager at that time, you know, so I obviously I saw the stories, but you know what Terry Francona said was true. It was more of a oh come on, man. Mike's playing baseball. What what Mike know about baseball? Like that was the you know prevailing thought. Like of course everybody wanted to see him you know be successful, but uh, then when you had you know uh, you know sports folks saying like oh you know oh for four and you know really highlighting you know some of the struggles that he had you know after that initial run uh, you know to, you know to start off. You know, we we all or a lot of us, you know, at least those of us that were, you know, not directly surrounding the area, we thought we just figured, okay, well, whatever, you know, Mike's just out there doing Mike for right now. We we had no idea that he was giving it his all and how much he was really putting into it and how much, you know, how you know resurgent that period was for him because it allowed him to just get away from everything and return back to something that he not only loved as a child but specifically loved as a result of the relationship with his father. Yeah. And- I, I think it would have been like a frustrating period um, as a as a fan of Jordan and as a fan of baseball and I can see how mm-hmm. baseball like the Jose Batista bat flip a few years ago as a non baseball fan was great television and then all <laughs> I saw on social media were like baseball you're you're disgracing the game and, da, 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 and like can only imagine how the baseball fan <laughs> felt about Jordan at the time. <laughs> you, you you know what's really interesting about that just quickly I I won't you know, do it aside but. Uh, anytime you see that, anytime you see you know, you know quote unquote baseball community, the quote unquote baseball community reacting, take a look at the differences in the way that they react to people that are named Jose Batista or people that you know people with more melanin in their skin than than they do when it's not necessarily somebody with a Batista or Santiago last name. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it's yep. different sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we get we get um. In this episode, we get a lot of him pushing his teammates in practice, but we also get, and I'm, I'm so glad that they walked us through this, because I, I love the the 94 season for the Bulls. Uh, real talk, they were really good. They, mm-hmm. they were really good, and I'm glad they walked us through it. And um, they kind of, you know, talked about the difference between Scotty and, and MJ as a leader, and how, like, MJ would just ride your ass, and, and he would do everything that the, that he felt the team needed to succeed, and Scotty was like, well, I'll play together and we'll still win. And it, w- and it was working. 
and then you know right up until till the <laughs> moment where it didn't but um i i, I honestly the, the 10 minutes going through that season and just you know them giving scotty his due and kerr talking about how he had an mvp season and like they were sharing the ball and tony kukic came in and he was an excellent rookie and I, I mean that was a great segment that that really was it, it it was great to see you know to be reminded of how how truly gifted tony kukoc was it was great to be reminded of how great how genuinely great of a basketball player scotty pippen was while he was probably the better leader in in the sense of um, you know, putting his arm around you, bringing you to the fold, saying, you know, you know, we got this. Uh, and also, I like I like the fact that they showed that because when ultimately when they you know, when they uh, you know, when they failed, I looked at it as, you know, as much as I want to complain about a leader like Mike and and, and I probably would be more uh, geared towards somebody, you know, with Scottie Pippen's approach. They were the perfect balance. You know yeah. what I mean? Good cop, bad cop. You had Mike that was just un, you know, just, just unflappable, like you know, in, in, indomitable will. Just like I, no matter what, this is what it takes. Give it to me. And then you have Scotty, you know, over there, you know, it, you know kind of a you know, cleaning things up and, and showing folks, you know, show giving folks the sweet as a, as opposed to you know as opposed to the sour, right? Um, so. I like that they showed, you know, uh, that situation with obviously Scotty refused to go back in. I like that they showed, you know, Tony, you know, like having his success. But I also appreciate it made me appreciate the the combination of Mike and Scotty that much more, especially once they showed them, you know, once they got back together. Well, and and I think it was it it made me think about Jason Kidd and and, and Dirk Nowitzki. And Mm. um, they always thought like Dirk's kind of like a Pippin type, like everybody on the team likes him. Mm -hmm. He goes out there, he plays hard, he leads by example. But he's not a get in your face, give you your 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 tough medicine type of guy. And they talked about, you know, specifically the 2011 title run, the culture change when Jason Kidd came, I think in 09. Um, but but Kidd Kid was more of that like get in your face, mm-hmm. hard nosed leader. And and together they they kind of shared the mantle, and and they were sort of missing that in some ways. And it wasn't that Dirk was soft or Scotty soft. That's just not how they lead, you know. Yeah. And and I think that was very noticeable here. So I I mean. You know, Horace Grant was great, and I'm glad he got his due kind of in episode eight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really good team, man. Like, yeah. Tony Kukic, B.J. Armstrong, Horace Grant, and Scottie Pippen. Um, really good players. The latter three were all all-stars, uh, which didn't get mentioned. Um, the one thing I will say, and I don't know if you were going to go here, I hated the fact that, and I get it, but when Scotty says, you know, if I had the opportunity, uh, I wouldn't change it if I had to do it, you know, if I had the opportunity to do it over again, I get why pride would make you say that, but Scotty, come on, dog, yes, you would. I was yeah. leading, I was leading up to it. Oh, so, my bad. <laughs> so, so they get, they're, they're down there, they're down 0-2 to the Knicks. Um, yeah. The moment comes. They're down one point, and th- th- this moment is infamous, and it has been talked about in, in debates against Michael and, and, and LeBron, and it, it's in, it lives in infamy for like reasons that have nothing to do with it. Did this season? This Bulls team was good enough to potentially win a championship without Michael Jordan, and they come to this chemistry impasse because Scotty's pride gets in the way. Now, I've gone back and forth on this because. You know, Scotty was, it was his turn in a lot of ways. And following the example of Michael Jordan, do, do you think Michael Jordan was going to let Phil run that up for Tony? 
Well, I mean, there were times in the there were times you know in that six year run or you know six year title run that, that Phil did ask Mike to find the open guy. Sure, I, I get it. Last you know last second situation, especially if you're Scotty, especially if you're trying to come out of the you know out of the shadows of Mike, especially if Mike is the one that showed you this is how it gets done at the end of a game. I get it. I do. Like, I, I'm not going to say, like, I don't understand why he was frustrated. But ultimately, and this is not just a soapbox situation. Ultimately, everyone that has played professional sports knows damn well you got to get up off your ass and get back in that game. You can talk yeah. about it afterwards. You can be upset about it. But the reason why, and you know what? It was great that they it was great that they had Kerr and all of those guys, you know, they, they, they did it. those clips because he said he quit on us because that's what it was. And and, and that's, that's where I was at. I was like, I, I can totally empathize with his mindset here mm-hmm. because – he was trying to, to be next, and, and there was an example that was laid out, and he was trying to follow that, and he felt undercut with their season on the line. That being said, you know, Tony hit it, oh, and, yeah. and Phil made the right call. Yep. And that should have been a unanimous, great team high, mm-hmm. um, and instead it was sour because, you know, and, and they talked about Bill Cartwright, you know, gave a speech, and he was, he was in tears about, like, how could, you know, you're our brother, how could you quit on us? And I got that, man. Like that oh, yeah. that is. And then it comes. And then so like you, I'm you know, we're, we're we're talking about it. Everyone's, you know, that was everyone is like that was foul as hell. But we came back, we put it to seven after being down 02. And and you know, like we put they did seem to put it behind them. And then you get Scott. He's like, <laughs> I, I yeah, I'd do it again. I'm like, what the f- man, really? Like that I, I couldn't even believe that he said that. I was like, this was he had this great opportunity to be like, you know what, I think that was the lowest point of my career. And, you know, I proved so much that season. And then it, I just built myself up. My mind. There's a million things he could have said that everyone everywhere would have understood and been like, yeah, you know, bad moment. bad One bad call. But then for him to be like, I think I'm going to do it again. I was like, <laughs> come on, man. What a dick. What a stupid thing to say. So I had two initial reactions. My first re- I honestly, I sat up on my couch like, wait, what? And then I thought, okay. Now, let's think about this. I I personally am one that always says, hey, say it with your chest. If you feel it, then let me know, right? Uh, I, I, I'm always about, like, hey, if, if you truly feel something, then, you know, don't sugarcoat it. But at the same time, it's like, bro, you could have made yourself look so much better if you would just lie. Even if he goes to the point where he like he's just not willing to acknowledge it, and he just goes like, "Yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough situation," and you know, I, I wish it hadn't happened. Even if he does that, he meets it halfway, everything's all good. But sticking to it and saying like, "Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I would, I'd do it again." All right, all right, Scotty. Hey, yeah, you, 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 yeah, you too, human. Like, the I don't future know. Future is yours, Scotty. Because this this doc, he's he's very it's very easy to empathize with, with Scotty in this doc, and I don't know like how often do you listen to Zach Lowe low post? Do you listen to that regularly? Uh, here and there, not 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 all the time. You know, there's so many, but he's you know yeah. he's good stuff. Um, but he he had Mike Wilbon on, and he and uh, I can't remember who else he had this week, but they were talking about like it's been a present theme that like Chicago media was way too hard at, on Scotty Scotty Pippen at the time. Because Mike was king, and when things went wrong, it was just so much easier to beg on Scotty. And Wilbon's obviously written like an apology piece to him since. And you know, like there's been a mm-hmm. a lot of mending of the fences. And I think for the younger generation, this doc has really highlighted, you know, how good he was and how much he was valued by the franchise and, and by other players and Jordan. And then just to have that one, what it's like he he's reliving the past. Like this is yeah. going to be his one low moment of the doc too. <laughs> 
Yeah, to a certain point, is it possible that it's it's kind of like it is exactly that? Like he's just reliving the past, and 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 even though they've worked past it, and even though obviously he went on to have you know a tremendous amount of success beyond that, uh, it probably still hurts. You know, it, it's it's like a PTSD situation where he just can't acknowledge it. Yeah, maybe. That's maybe. what it seems like. I think you also like I don't know. You come from a place where you bear, you what what is it? You grit your teeth and bear. Is that the? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he did that for so long. It's just, it's yeah, done, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so just really quickly. Now, I'm, I'm. This isn't breaking anything, but seriously, think about Scottie Pippen and the fact that he hated being, you know, considered a Pippen. But at the same time, the you know the phrase being a Pippen is actually a positive thing. Like, what type of yo? Know, what type of mind yo know, mind screw must that do with him? Do you think he? Do you think he now appreciates like you know someone being called a Pippin uh, if they're the second best player on a team? I don't know. I, I don't think he does, man. And it's unfortunate because like the culture of the game mm-hmm. didn't really give him it, and it's too bad because I, I mean he was an MVP candidate that year. Mm-hmm. They were a title level team that year in the one year without Jordan, and um, you know if if they kept Horace Grant the year prior and and everyone had been healthy. Maybe they would have done and been on pace again in '95 before Jordan came back. Like, I, I I don't think if you know the game, you feel like Pippen has anything to prove. But yeah, because of how things were written for so long, and you know these guys read it, and and we'll talk about Kevin Durant later. But these guys read everything that's said about them. Absolutely, you can't help it, and it just it, it just gets drilled into your mind. But I think about, you know, like it, Kobe was to Shaq in a lot of ways what what Pippen was to Jordan, and it, you just don't get that success unless somebody. Is, is willing to, to give up a few shots at times, you know, and, and still be great in their own way and do the other things. You know, what's funny about that, I'm glad you just said that because it also to you know, circles to a, another quick topic. People will take that as a disrespect towards Kobe, which it is not, okay? Like, in any situation when you have two legitimate alpha dog type talents and personalities someone has to take that back seat and that that actually is why i have i've always respected the hell out of those first three titles with you know with kobe and shaq whereas other people have used that as you know as as a negative you know like in in terms of the argument against his legacy um just quickly for folks on there and and you know i experienced something you know for folks on social media i experienced something new to me uh that josh experiences all the time Folks, when we give opinions on these shows, that's all they are is opinions. Uh, Justin, do you know what I'm referencing right now? The the, the I know what you're talking the, about. Okay, I, and yeah. I know I know you know don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to let you know, let the folks know out there, we're doing this to entertain you guys. We're doing this because we love the sport. We're doing this because we you know you know we love talking to each other about these things. At the end of the day, it's just an opinion. We appreciate you sharing your, your your opinions with us as well, but I I would hope that nobody is taking these things so seriously to the point where it is truly impacting their lives. And I got a little bit of a taste of that yesterday. That's all I'll say. Yeah, we're not giving that dude a show, but um, yeah, no, and, and I think too, the difference between Kobe and Pippen, right? Pippen was okay with being in the Robin role per yeah. se, and it resulted in him and Michael winning six together. Kobe wasn't, and it was really important for him to prove that he could do it on his own. And he ended up getting five, and he did it his own way. And if Pau doesn't come, that could have gone, you know, the other way for him. But at the same time, but at the same time, he needed to do that for him. Mm-hmm. And this this isn't a shot at Kobe. It's just I'm I'm trying I'm trying to say like the long way around here is like 
there's not necessarily a right way to do it. Pippen's willingness to defer led to greatness. And Kobe's unwillingness to defer mm-hmm. forever led to a different kind of greatness. And, you know, b- both roads got them there in different ways. So that, that's all I'm trying to say. That was really well stated. That was exactly what I was going to do was just circle back in and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, take off from my guy a little bit. I, I was going to Kobe stand a little bit, but you did it for me. But the thing is, like, if Kobe wasn't great, then it, mm-hmm. he would have fallen on his face. Exactly. If he was not an all-time great, then that you know, all of that you know, dog-headed determination would have just been okay. Hey, look at that guy running into the running into the wall over and over again. And and I think people apl- applaud the risk factor there, like mm-hmm. you know, because if if if, Pau, if they don't make the Pau Gasol trade and Kobe never wins again, his story is written very differently. Oh yeah, it, very very differently. He he gets smacked a lot, so it was a big risk. But he went, he proved it, and did it again. And I, I think, you know, again, we were too focused on rings. Like, I saw Scotty be an MVP candidate on a 55-win team, mm-hmm. losing Michael Jordan, replacing him with no one. So that's enough for me. But there's people like he didn't win on his own. So, yeah, uh, it, 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 that, that uh, you know, oh, either you win or you don't, you know, conversation, that's usually for people that either don't truly understand what they're, you know, what they're watching or just want to be jerks about stuff. We, we, we know that, you know, a guy like Patrick Goon was an absolutely great player. <laughs> we know a guy like Charles Barkley was an absolutely great player. We don't have to, we don't have to you, know, you know, cheapen the conversations with that anymore. You know what? And um, so let, let's transition this back to Jordan because no. – uh, the one element of this I really want to talk about still too is the him as a teammate. Okay. And you get you get the real look at it these two episodes. Like mm-hmm. he was an asshole. Like BJ yeah. Armstrong. <laughs> there, he, he has like a thirty second. Hmm. No, he wasn't nice, man. Like he wasn't a nice guy. <laughs> and and Steve Kerr was like, look, I'm competitive too. You know, like I know what it feels like when you know someone's trying to emasculate you because they're better than you, and you you just like. You feel like you don't, you're not standing on fr- from the same spot, but you have to stand up. And like Kerr swinging first was new to me. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Like MJ gave him a big, big foul, but Kerr swung first, and good for Steve Kerr, man, because like there was no other option. But you have from basically every teammate that talks about him this episode, you get the idea that yes, he made you better because he forced you to be at attention all the time. <laughs> But he didn't do it in a great way, and no, and you know what? Like, that is the cost of winning that Jordan's talking about. Yes, and and look, the, the cost of winning for Jordan is he's going. You know, while everyone will bow their head to him and acknowledge, you know, his greatness, no one is. You know, no, no, no one's probably you know looking saying like, well, outside of you know the late Kobe and the people that are absolutely closest to him, you know, the, some of those other teammates, they probably don't look at you know look to reach out to him all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not saying that they dislike him, but you know, kind of to the point that you were making, you could see it in these interviews. You could see, as a matter of fact, I think Will Produce right out said he was an asshole. Um, Bill Car- Bill Winnington also said it. But then you know, the one thing that I do like about Bill Winnington is he says, in retrospect, I look back on all of that stuff and I understand it. At the time, and, and I get at the time when you're going through it, you're, pro- you're, pro- you're probably like, yo, I'm right here with you, Mike. I might not be Mike very clearly, but I'm right here with you going through these fires. Uh, well, so so yeah. I would see, I would understand why, you know, at that time, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't get it. But, you know, if you circle back around and especially once you're, you know, you're kind of counting those rings, you realize, okay, well, it was, a, there was a method to his madness. Yeah. And, and there's a couple things. I mean, Scott Burrell said, oh yeah, Jesus. he held you to a standard that I don't think he realized that only he could meet. Yep. You know, like Scott Burrell could work every minute of every day and never be Jordan. And same mm-hmm. with Steve Kerr and Wellington, all these guys. 
and and the fact that he made them aspire to that did make them better but it's not the only way and and i think his methods to some degree are outdated and i think players today hate that mm-hmm. you know a lot of them hate it and you see that with old school coaches who aren't players coaches who get begged on all the time on the timeline because guys don't like that and it, and it was a different time where he was able like jordan couldn't do that today no. kobe couldn't do that today you know like kobe did that you know 10 years later and mm-hmm. it was you know probably the biggest knock on him professionally you know for for a 5 6 year span there it, it's just people don't lead like that anymore cuz people don't like that not many people respond to that but it was interesting like as i watched this and just like from a personal i had a teammate um we started playing to get together in junior high and and he mm-hmm. was so good man um he was so good he's the best guy i ever played with and we only played together till we were about 16 we played club a couple years a year first year of high school and last year of junior high so when you're like 15 16 and he was so good. And I, I remember, like, on the junior high team, I was pretty good. And then the club, I started to fall back. I wasn't a standout anymore as as it got more competitive. But my mom, who who played a lot of basketball, she was growing up, she'd come watch our games. And she'd be like, he just, he always knows where he's going with the ball. But he was like Mike in that he got, we'd go to a party or something, and someone would, like, look at us and say something to a friend. They could have said anything. Oh, like, look who just came in. Like, and he would be like, that guy's talking shit about me. <laughs> and, and he would, and we, you know, we'd be playing a game and the guy didn't give him a high five or like somebody say, and he, like didn't pass him. He, he always had this like insatiable chip on his shoulder. And unfortunately, like later he didn't end up making it pro and he made some bad decisions later in life. It didn't serve him well mm-hmm. outside of basketball. But you can see, you know, that if that is who you are, it's hard to turn that off. Exactly. And the thing of it is, is you see this in every field. It's just that in professional sports, you literally get to see it play out before our eyes, Uh, whether it's, you know, a scientist or a doctor or whatever. These there are certain folks that are just so super and hyper competitive that no matter what, it's all about, you know, like the, the win or the accomplishment or the goal. You know what I'm saying? So like. Or me personally, I came from that generation where, like, you know, you know, my, you know my, my uncles and my dad and you know my stepdad or whatever the case may have been, they would have definitely been that like pick yourself up by your bootstraps, stop crying, suck it up, man up, you know, t- you know, type, you know, you know, type mentality. Uh, so it, it it has been it, it has been an interesting transition, you know, for me, um, you know, like you know, in that regard. Um, but uh, you know, just you know, just you know, kind of circling back, you know, to what you said, I don't take that as a knock against Kobe. I don't take that as a knock against Mike. I, but I also do agree. Uh, it, you know, it's an outdated, you know, you know, it's an outdated line of thought, uh, and one that would not be as successful, you know, in today's game. And that that's where I'm coming from too. Where I, I just, I don't think it's the only way. I don't think it's necessarily the right way. But some people are built like that mm-hmm. and it does work in its own way. Wait, you know, quickly. You remember, you know, to, to the point about that Scott Burrell made, which was which was great. You know, a lot of people that weren't around at the time, they they, they like to you know point at Magic and you'll know, expect you know Magic, you know Magic's a guy that you you can make you can make a lot of fun of, right? You know, what I'm saying all time great, you know, phenomenal. <coughs> He gives you plenty of opportunities to make fun of. So they, they will point to that season where, you know, he coached and it was terrible and, you know, not recognizing the actual context that he was just throwing it. You know, like he, Jerry West basically said, like, do us a favor. We need you to just finish out this season. We just had to let go of the person or whatever the case may have been. Right. And what it, and the, the issue that he had with that group where it was a young Nick Van Exel, I think, you know, Eldon Campbell was there. I think Eddie Jones may have been there. But the issue that he had with him was that they couldn't just do what he wanted them to do. Like, he, like it, it, there was story after story after story where he would be in you – know, like in practice with them or even in the games when they say well just do this and they would look at him like but magic we're not you we can't do that and mm-hmm. i think and i bring i, I reference that because i think when you are a certain level of great 
Not that it's justified, but when you're a certain level of great, I don't know if they can truly understand and comprehend that I can't be like that. Even if I, no matter how many times I'm Scott Burrell and I'm in the gym and I'm doing all these things, not any, there's no one else that can do that. And it's interesting, and I mean, someone will make this point in the timeline, but it, it when you, LeBron and Jordan, as these comparisons get made a million times, they're so different. Mm-hmm. And even in the leadership, like, Jordan is like, play as hard as me, do what I would do, be ultra-competitive all the time, and that's how we're going to win. And LeBron's like, I know you can't be 6'8", 265, run like Jesus, and, you know, like, <laughs> so what you're going to do is you're going to knock down every three I hit you with. You're going to know where you got to be on the floor. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to be the best that you can to serve, you know, in this system. And Mike's like, we're just all going to be the best that we can be. Mm-hmm. And they're both, you know, different, you know. They, it's, it's, it's an interesting contrast. And people have been joking about, like, yeah, don't tell me LeBron's a goat after unless you've watched this doc. And I'm like, well, LeBron's going to put out a doc 20 years. From yeah, now, and it's going to do the exact <laughs> same thing, and you're going to get all of this. But it, it it's it is interesting. It'll be it'll be cool to watch them like back to back down the line. Yeah, like I said, like I, I come from you know from both you know schools of thought. Uh, I grew up one way, and now in my you know adult and later life, I I, I live by a, di- a different code. Uh, but I do understand both, and I do have an appreciation for both. A couple other notes I had here. Um, not unlike, so 73 win Warriors. Curry misses some time. Mm-hmm. He comes back. He absolutely lights up the Trailblazers, has some fantastic games against the Thunder. They obviously blow the infamous 3-1 lead in the finals. And uh, <laughs> and and then what was the defense from the Warriors fans? Well, uh, oh, they were, they were banged up. Yeah, they were yeah. hurt. Yeah. Right, he, he's his first game back from injury. He drops forty against Portland, forty nine and eight. Just boom, first game back. You know, and and I think it's similar with Jordan. Jordan comes back in ninety five. You know, two weeks into being back, he drops fifty five on the Knicks. Mm-hmm. But then you know, a month and a half later in the playoffs against Orlando, his body wasn't right. He was only at eighty percent. Mm-hmm. So I mean, excuses. Uh, span generations and and then mr like all that matters is win and all of those people who are like it only matters if you win or lose don't give me excuses coming with the excuses killed me so that was just my one that's my one little thing i had to make a point of talking on this episode but here let let me help you out and i'm gonna go against because i'm a i'm a jordan guy everybody you know i've made that obvious also, on top of that, after losing that series, he he filmed Space Jam. <laughs> like, if LeBron did that, or if a current guy did that, the current greatest of all time guy did that, we would be killing them. We would be we we would at very least be saying like, well, oh, how's he supposed to get ready? And how do you, all of that type of stuff would have been toxic. I do recognize they built him a studio and all of that stuff. Yeah, we we know all of these stories, but yeah, no, man, Mike. I, you know, honestly, I love this doc because it's making him a human being. I recognize it's it's not showing everything, all the dirty stuff underneath the nails that you know you may have wanted to see, but it's at least making him a human being, and it's showing at least showing some of that stuff that diffuses some of those long time uh, you know uh, debates and conversations. Yeah, and I, I did make a note. My note of like would get slayed today was his first game back when he goes seven and twenty eight. Could you imagine Michael missing twenty one jump shots on Twitter today? How just oh, it would be, just, it would be rough. Uh, after 20, 21 jump shots after twenty one months off would just be viral. Like it would just it would every joke that would be dunked on him would have been insane oh, and then yeah. of course six days later or whatever it was when he goes for like 39 and they win and he looks normal or whatever but like uh, 
But in that moment, you'd have just got just crucified. And just, then, like, Cold Takes a week later would have gone to town mm-hmm. and those people crucifying him. It's just an endless circle, man. Um, I, I just... Oh, go ahead. You mentioned that... I was just going to say the Space Jam Jordan Dome mm-hmm. was super cool. Oh, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know about the... I knew there were scrimmages... Um, I remember hearing something about that, but I didn't know they built this home facility and they were actually at Warner Bros. And I was like, I was looking at the players too, and you know, I, I was I was really laughing when he was like, "Yeah, I wanted to get these guys in so I could scout them." Yep. And then, <laughs> so but so here's here's my connection. He's saying this that summer. He's got like Jawan Howard and Reggie Miller and Dennis Rodman and uh, I can't remember who else was in the the scene there, but um, they're all coming out. They're playing on Pat Patrick Ewing mm-hmm. and. Uh, He's like he's he's admittedly like I'm scouting these guys. I'm trying to get a competitive advantage while they're coming out. Like oh, we're gonna have a scrimmage, and then he sees George Carl in the restaurant in, in the finals that year, uh-huh. and George Carl's not fall, falling for that shtick, and like he doesn't want to be a talking point years later about the golf course and the drinks. So he just you know passes him. He, he does the competitive thing like what Jordan would do himself. No, and and then he he slays him for it, and he's like mm-hmm. that wasn't cool. You knew Dean Smith, and that was disrespectful. I'm like you're you're a nut, man. You are a legit psychopath. Did you just recognize that Mike is a nut? Like 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 okay, I can't remember the the player's name now. The dude that played for the Bullets, uh, th- that that was excited as well. LeBradford Smith. Yeah, LeBradford Smith. Yeah. That right there tells you all you need to know. The man didn't even say anything to him. All the man did was have a great game. A young player that, of course, I'm sure had looked up to Jordan his entire you know, his entire you know upbringing, or at least for a good portion of it, has a has a a, a, a wonderful game, a, you know, a, a miraculous game. And Jordan is so upset he decides I have to kill this guy. I and have. And what's brutal is he only played like 70 games after that. Yeah. In the NBA, he never never yeah. recovered. Uh, I had two. Quick Jordan notes. ended his career. Yeah, he did. He, he said, like, no, you're done. Like, we're done here. I had two quick notes on it. Is I'm Back the dopest press release of all time? Like, straight it is, up. It is really good. And the story of, like, of uh, Falk writing four. He's like, I wrote mm-hmm. four, and none of them were good enough. And I was like, you try. And he just wrote, I'm back. Yeah. I, I mean, that was good. Yeah, like, like, you know what this, you know why I'm here. You know what this is. Yeah. Um, what's your other one? Uh, well, actually, are, are, are you might be getting into it because it's it's about the George Carl. Carl. Yeah, it's yeah. Perfect. Okay, so just really quick backstory. When I started doing this and started like getting into the basketball world, and I was you know forums first and then social media, and I got some internships doing some Sportsnet, and um, I always heard from like older people like, oh, you didn't you didn't watch MJ in his prime, you can't speak on, you didn't see MJ in the finals. So I made like a point of pride. I found like tape on forums and YouTube, and I watched every <laughs> finals game Jordan had ever played in so I could tell people, older people to show it, right? Um, and it, and it, was, it was glaring reading about 96, and, and I knew this before, but people who are going to watch this tonight, um, they're, they're going to talk about it because it's, it's going to come back around. But, like, Gary Payton is the defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. He's recognized as one of the, we'll say, five greatest perimeter defenders ever. Mm-hmm. They say in the this doc... To, uh, that it was more of a coronation than than a, a championship. Like they felt like the Bulls were gonna walk all over them. The obvious plan here, the greatest player ever. You maybe have the greatest perimeter player ever, who's younger, coming off a defensive player of the year. Put him on Michael and see what you can do. No, 
No. George Carl tries to outdo himself. It's like, you know, we need you more on offense. So, excuse me. So, we're just going to not put you on Jordan and go down 0-3. Like, I was like, what? Are, like, I, I knew this already, but just seeing this and reliving it, I was like, what an absolutely ridiculous, dumb, unbelievable, can't come back from decision. Listen. I mean, you know, anytime anybody leads him with all due respect, you know they're about to say something disrespectful. But all due respect, George Carl, you're a le- he's a legend. You know, if I'm not mistaken, a Hall of Fame, you're a Hall of Famer, all of that. That might be the dumbest decision I've ever seen. And here's why. Because after game one, Mike, you know, Mike does you. You're down 0-1. The first thought should be, even if even if you're hesitant initially, like, no, I, I, I really want Gary Payton. I really want him to have the energy to, you know, continue to, you know, you know to, to work the offense and you know have his legs in the fourth quarter. Even if that's the thought, even if that's the prevailing thought, after game one, you have to at least think, damn, maybe I should reconsider. So then you go down 0-2. <laughs> there is no way in the world you can say, uh, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick to my guns. This is you know this is working. George Carl, that honestly was probably that for me. That's the dumbest coaching coaching decision I've ever seen. By a big time coach that was quote unquote supposed to be you know a, a, a legendary or at least a great coach at that time and shout out to our guy Roosh Williams uh, you know who's on Twitter right now breaking down just how stupid of an <laughs> idea like- just how stupid that was Gary Payton was in his prime it's not look nope look. Mike said it last ep- or two episodes ago. No one's guarding me one on one, and that's true. No one was guarding him one on one. But guys like Gary Payton, guys like Joe Dumars, and you know, guys that were able, you know, that had experience against him and could play him physically and make him work prior to, you know, prior to his, you know, him, him elevating, they were your best bet. So for a coach to not utilize that is just the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. So here's the thing too. Carl's reasoning that he was gonna Gary Payton was gonna do more on offense. It, it, it's poor psychology too, because if you've ever coached basketball, you know that like certain players do certain things to get in a rhythm, right? Like for mm-hmm. me, if I didn't if I didn't make my first layup, it was gonna be really hard for me all game to overcome that like mental feeling of being shitty. To be honest, and like yeah. some people need to grab a rebound, some people need to get the ball in their hands, some people need to start, some people need to come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Gary Payton need to d up because that's yep. where he felt like he gave the most value. Uh, Gary Payton averaged 15 points the first three games. And he shot 40%. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be giving the offense because he wasn't guarding Mike. The three games when he was guarding Mike, he averaged 21 points a game and shot 49%. Hello. And 47% from three because he was getting back to playing the game that he was comfortable playing and he was getting empowered and, 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 and like his cup was getting filled up on D every time. He was getting fired up. Like he essentially neutered his best player. It wasn't just that he wasn't guarding Jordan. He took away like... The hype that that Gary could have been building every possession by not letting him do what he took pride. In. He took away his superpower. Like all jokes aside, we you know, we're just talking about Space Jam. The the, the superpower that Gary Payton had, George Carl said, "No, nah, we're gonna lead us here on the bench." Yeah, it, I mean it, it's nuts. And then so Jordan shoots forty seven percent games one, two, and three. He shoots thirty seven percent games four, five, six. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, it's just it's just. It is sometimes it is that simple. Like it was the stupidest, most galaxy brain tank I can think of off the top of my head that any coach has ever like stuck with and rode with and was concrete on. And the thing is, game two, the Sonics lose by four points. So let's mm. let's let, let's give them game two if if, if Gary because they win two of three when Gary's guarding Michael to close out the series. So they win game two. They don't let's say they don't win game one and game three still because Mike's gonna get his like he did. But now it's game seven. Anything can happen, man. Like, 
I, I personally think, and, and you're, you're, you hit it, I personally think Mike finds a way to prevail, even at a Game 7, but you're right. Anything can happen. Who knows? Somebody comes down on an ankle wrong. Somebody, or just the signs come out and they're just hitting everything. Like, literally anything could take place. You know, At, at, at a minimum, though, right? Like, so mm-hmm. no other team took them to seven in the finals. Yep. At a minimum, if they didn't dick around, they were going to seven. If Gary yep. Payton starts on Jordan, they're, they're going to seven and anything can happen. You know what it all, but you know what I will thank uh, George Call for? It led to, yet again, one of the great quotes of this documentary. Do you have it in your notes? Uh, maybe. Fuck what you talk about, George. I'm guarding him. Whatever <laughs> you say, you can't control us no more. <laughs> Gary Payton. <laughs> I, I, you know what? No, I, t- I didn't have that one in there. But there were there were a few there were a few this episode. Um, the last the last one I wanted to talk about before we got out of here. Uh, no, I'm losing it. Oh, I did I did kind of find the Patrick the Patrick Ewing quote sad. Mm. Which one? You know how like earlier earlier in the series like Michael and Isaiah is is uh, contentious and it's legitimate because. Um, they actually have a rivalry, and Isaiah did smoke Jordan a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Pat never got his, so nope. it's just sad. Like when he's talking about that fifty-five, he's like, "Yeah, it's a great game, but I had a pretty oh. good, good game too." But nobody remembers it. Like Patrick yeah. Ewing wasn't even Jordan's rival, man. He's just his little brother, and at yeah. no point did he ever get to win. So, yeah, look the the world is a different place if Jordan never exists. I know that you know it's a silly hypothetical to even say, but you know we 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 do hypotheticals all the time. If Jordan doesn't exist, Patrick Ewing probably has a title, man. Like they, oh, yeah. like like he probably does. Now that's not to say that he's got five of them because you know Hakeem still existed, you know David Robinson still existed, all these guys still were around. But man, Patrick Ewing's legacy would be a hell of a lot different. And like, let's be real, it the the, the missed finger roll layup and like you know some of the, and and, the, and some of the missed fadeaways would not be the prevailing thought when you you know when you think about Patrick Ewing in the clutch. No, yeah, it would it would be different. I think he'd have one, but. Oh, the last the last thing that I, I was killing myself laughing is when when they like so again I was just arguing like you know it would have gone game seven and you never know but then you're talking like Gary's talking and he's talking himself up and he's reminiscing he's like you know who who because I don't know if it would have changed the result but I just made him tired and he's he's just talking all this shit right on, on and then <laughs> it transitions to Mike watching Gary Payton like. You know, working out his head. Maybe we could have gone. You know, maybe we could have won. Da, 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 da. I just changed it up, and Mike is just laughing, and I just <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. And like it is, it is like when you okay, and I am captain. What if and all this? He's like, no one. You know, we won. They didn't even take us seven games. Like it is what it is, and it just it's funny how, like you you see it from him and you see it from Horace Grant. Which, by the way, context, Horace Grant like pl- barely played in 96. He played like 20 minutes. He was out that whole series mm-hmm. when Magic got swept. But anyway, um, there are so many players who hold on to these moments where they like stung Mike for a minute. They didn't beat him. They didn't even have him at an elimination point. But they stung him for a minute, and they hold on to it. Like B.J. Armstrong in that whole cut of him making those jumpers, he had 10 points in that game, and it was the only game they won the series. But, like, you see, it's not like it's scripted. Like, B.J. takes so much pride that that, he had that one winner and scored 10 points against Mike. Like, that just tells you how great he was. I, I got two other notes related to this exact thing. The quote that Mike had for that is, I felt like B.J. should have known better. I'm supposed to dominate this guy. Yeah, and from that point, I did. <laughs> Mike is so cold, man. Mike is so cold. And then the other note was, Mike's face as he watches the other players talk about their shared history is literally priceless. It's the it's one of the best parts of this documentary. The, you, know, you, you As you just said, he's gleeful. 
he's literally gleeful when he's arrogantly laughing at these guys. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 that, that, that all sounds good, <laughs> but you didn't. Like, that ultimately, even if you don't like the approach, even if you, you know, like, you know speaking generally, even if you don't like, uh, you know, like, you know, having that, you know, such a, you know, a fierce mindset, you got to respect the hell out of that dude, man. <laughs> it, it, oh, it, yeah. It just is what it is. Yeah, man, and this is the thing. Like I, I, I've said over and over, if you have Jordan at the at number one, fine. If you have LeBron as number one, fine. I get it. I'm not trying to take away from Jordan being great. I'm not yeah. trying to talk you out of it. It's just that some of the moments in the show, <laughs> it is is like genuine. Like wait, like he's holding on to that. B.J. Armstrong won titles with Jordan, but he's like, you know what? That one time I mm-hmm. gave him ten, and we won a game. <laughs> like all right, man. <laughs> Jordan gave you 127 over the next four games, but you did give him ten in game two, man. Gave all him right. right to you. Uh, okay, um, I think that let's let's transition. I hope episodes nine and ten are as great as seven and eight were, because mm-hmm. man, they were good. They were really really good. Truly, Jordan was truly a record. He's yeah. gonna close. Yeah, <laughs> um, let's talk some Kevin Durant for a moment, okay. and then we'll do um, the Mount Rushmore's, and we'll end with what we're binging. All right. Um, so Kevin Durant had a moment mm. on Twitter. And actually, you know, before Kevin Durant, let's let's bring this up. The Warriors fans pushing Giannis to Golden State uh. is driving me up the <laughs> wall. You know, like uh-huh. I was saying, like as long as I have been a basketball fan, like before Photoshop was publicly accessible, before <laughs> there was a student package of Microsoft whatever. Lakers fans used Microsoft Paint, and they found a way you damn to put right. every free agent in a Lakers jersey. And it's kind of endearing. It's like the Lakers thing. You <laughs> this just is know that they're going to do it. This is what and we they, do. They didn't discriminate. Like, they, Trevor Ariza was getting a Lakers jersey before he was a Laker. Dwight Howard's getting yes. a Lakers jersey. Like, yes. They didn't take anybody. All of them. But Except it, Paul they skipped, But that was a Lakers fan thing. You know, yeah. that, that, that was a fan culture thing. The Warriors media. Mm-hmm. All year, their bloggers, their beat writers have been pushing this narrative that Giannis is coming to Golden State and that they can make the best package and it makes the most sense and Giannis respects Steph Curry. And it is not cute and it is not fun. And in a two-day span, their NBC affiliate posted um, a ridiculous, like, league sources say they have the best package based around Andrew (laughs) Wiggins, who literally couldn't get sold earlier in the year. Like, nobody even wanted his contract. So that's NBC. And then the next day, like, Con Cron, something San Fran Chronicle, types up a story about how people believe he's going there or whatever. It's Enough is enough. Like... It, it it's gross. It's not fun. It makes small market teams hate you, and and we don't we don't love you like that. We don't want the Warriors to be the new Lakers. You already have your thing. It's a dirty game. Like I'm gonna keep it real with you. It's a dirty game, but I also understand if you're you know, like if you're close to the organization, you know what's there to lose. You know, like if you if you put it out if you put it out there and there's a groundswell. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, folks, you know, retweeting it and talking about it, and it gets back to his people. You, I guess the thought, the prevailing thought is, well, hey, may, maybe we can plant the seed, even or maybe if the seed's planted, you know, we can water it, we can nurture it a little bit. But from the other side, I get it. Like I get, well, I get why you know, uh, fans of teams in small, smaller markets or teams in mar- uh, 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 fans of markets uh, that haven't been successful. Uh, I get why they would be upset by this. So and, I, I laugh about it, you know, and 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 embrace it. You know, obviously, you know, I'm going to lean into it when you talk about the Lakers fans doing it because, you know, yes, you know, it's been a long time deal. 
uh, even though I will acknowledge uh, oftentimes it wasn't, you know, the, the, the origin of that wasn't necessarily coming from Lakers fans, but they just jumped right on that bandwagon once it was out there. Uh, I will say this has been an ugly, ugly situation. Yeah, there's two other things with this, too, with the honest. One, the Warriors fans, and, and this is fan behavior, and I guess I can't, um, you know, police fans all the time, but this is, this is it's just irritating man like the hypocrisy like 2015 NBA finals mm. we have a like we were robbed of a very good finals because i think the warriors were you know a 67 win team curry is the mvp you know the cavs were very good kyrie and love are both hurt mm-hmm. that was the origin of the needs more help movement <laughs> yeah. because lebron fans were like hey yeah you take away the second and third best player on the team it's going to be pretty hard for him to win a, 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 a a finals against a team that has home court advantage and, you know, won 67 games as the MVP. Mm-hmm. Perfectly reasonable argument. Yeah. Warriors fans and LeBron haters turn that into, like, some sort of calling card. Like, LeBron never has enough help and people have always <laughs> been complaining about that. Yeah. We're not even one year removed from Warriors fans running Kevin Durant, one of the 15 best players ever, out of town mm-hmm. because they wanted Kevin Durant to know that he'd always be second to Steph. And Kevin Durant has now admitted that that was part of the process. Um, and now they're begging for Giannis. So who needs help now? Does Steph Curry need help? Or is that where we're going with this? Poor Steph's not even part of this, but his stupid fans are walking right into it. They're opening the, the door is, for it. And if you're Giannis, if you just watch what happened to KD, are you really stoked to go be number two in the Bay when you're younger and just heading into your like prime? I don't know, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I think I think you nailed it right there. If you're Giannis and you know he's paying attention to these things, you look at Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players to ever play this game, one of the greatest players alive right now, especially if he, you know, like, you know, knock on wood, he can come back healthy from that Achilles. And you see him go through, you'll have two straight finals MVPs, uh, you know, you have all of the success, you know, look like the man and still not get the, you know, not get the, you know, quite the love that he, you know, that, that he ultimately will. And still be you know uh, you'll be, uh, be chastised and criticized and and going up against you know simply the Curry fan base. There's no way in the world I'm, I, I would go there if I'm him. Now I could be wrong. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he sees that and says, "Hey, you know what? I don't care. I'm trying to go out there and win." Or maybe he sees it, sees it and says, "Yeah, see, this right here is exactly why I want to stay in Milwaukee." But me personally, if I you know, because it's so fresh and Kevin Durant still kind of going through that, I wouldn't do that if I were if I was him. Yeah, and, and I mean like a- Andy Lou, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on on this part of Light Years with Sam, he he is like the uh, I don't know the the pride and joy of of the pro Curry over the Warriors fans toxic fan base you know voice, and like I applaud him. He turned it into a huge brand, and it's done well for him. It's given him opportunities, and like you ride that, you ride that all the way. But like it's it's I don't I don't get like when, when Kobe fans were like that, it wasn't endearing at all. But like Curry fans are like that, and, and it, it is cute. Like I, just one of those things. I just never get like these swings and when it isn't isn't cool to be a super big homer. People and pick and choose based upon yeah. based upon if they like the guy or they like the player. And and it swings right. Like we were at like you know ten years ago. I, I think I've talked about this before. Like when I was working with Sportsnet, if you clapped in the press booth, it was like, "Oh man!" Oh yeah, couldn't do that. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, we we have half the guys getting credentials are, are like wearing the Steph Curry jersey, and they've got tattoos on their arms. Bro, you know, it, it's a different time. I covered a game probably about four years ago. This is uh, Lakers versus Minnesota, and I'm not I'm not exaggerating with you. I'm I, you know uh, 
you know, the, it, for the, it, folks that aren't aware, like they'll move you around sometimes. Sometimes you'll be up high. Sometimes you'll be down low. Sometimes you'll be like right there in the press box. It's kind of dope, right? At Staples Center in particular. And I'm up in the, I'm up up top. And there's a, I'm not even, I won't mention, you know, uh, what outlet it was from, but there's a guy that's up there, you know, doing his thing, you know, and then all of a sudden the game gets a little bit closer in the third quarter. So you start hearing, huh, huh, and, you know, like, you know, little grunts and stuff. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. You know, you into it. That's all good. Gets into the fourth quarter. And he starts, like, actively jumping, like, every time, like, Cat does something or, you know, whatever the case may have been, right? And by the end of the game, it's it's a it's a close game down the stretch. They're going back and forth, and I'm not joking with you. This man was jumping up and celebrating in the press box, right next to the rest of us. All all of us sitting there looking at him like, bro. First of all, you're in L.A. You need to stop doing that. <laughs> like, second, second of all, what are you doing? Like I'm talking about, this man was jumping up and down. And when the, I think the Wolves may have pulled it off at the end. I think Wiggins or some somebody you know somebody pulled it off for him at the end. And yeah, it it, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, man, and I, I don't know. Like, again, it's the overcorrecting. It's weird that you're not allowed to have any emotion, but you're supposed to be a sport that basically caters and sells itself on emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like, cheerleaders getting to write the stories and rile up the fans is, I don't think, great either. So, you know, somewhere in the middle would have been nice. But anyways, let's get back to Kevin Durant because this is where this started. So Kevin Durant on Twitter. Again, I don't have any problem with him defending himself. I said this on the show I read my mentions. He reads his mentions. You're allowed to say a thing, whatever you want. So, at HP Basketball, Matt Moore, right? Very, very good at riling up the masses on Twitter. <laughs> and Matt would tell you that he is, like, you know, a, a brilliant basketball mind and that he doesn't mean to troll people, but he's, you know. But he, he, he knows what he does. I was, and, I was just going to say, he knows he's trolling people. He can stop with that. <laughs> And, and, like, I've been there. Like, sometimes yeah. you're just trying to get a conversation started and mm-hmm. you want engagement. And sometimes you, you know who you're going to – whose hornet's nest you're kicking. Yeah. So he says, as with KD, whatever Giannis does is his decision and it isn't a moral choice. It's a professional choice which impacts his life, even if there are impacts on other people. I'll be disappointed like I was with KD if he bails, but not in him, just that it happened. Which is, like, some sort of, like – crazy galaxy brain reflection on, on this whole process, but mm-hmm. Kevin Durant replies, sensitive ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how you're supposed to respond to that, and, and Matt ran with it and made it like he, you know, he took the clout that KD gave him. I always think of the 50 Cent Jay-Z moment where 50 thinks Jay-Z for giving him the shout, because now more people know his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, Anytime a player interacts with you and actually buys into your bullshit on the timeline, you run with it, and and fair enough. That's the move. Yeah. But then, you know, this kind of, like, other people start talking to KD, and and per KD, he's now invested. Um, And and this is the one comment that that really upset me. So, Drew Schiller, who is part of the Golden State media, Mm -hmm. um, said, I'm going to guess it's the word bails that caused this response from KD. And then Kevin Durant said, I can't respond to someone I follow. <clears throat> Drew replies, of course you can respond. Was it his entire tweet that you led to that led you to respond with sensitive ass or the word bails specifically? And then Kevin Durant's like, why do you care? Now, again, all of this is normal, but then KD calls out Drew and says that Drew's a weirdo and that, <laughs> that if he, he's a, he sees him around, but he doesn't say anything to him. And, and this I can't find the tweet. I think KD deleted it now. Mm. But th- the problem is, 
Katie essentially insinuates, like, if Drew had a problem, he should have come and said something to KD because he feels like he has a problem with him, which has led to this interaction, Mm -hmm. which may or may not be true. I don't know what their relationship is. But Kevin Durant has made a brand on dunking on media members, feuding with media members, uh, freezing out media members. Are you, you actually expect me to believe that if Drew was like, after practice, he's like, hey, Kevin Durant, can we have a few minutes one-on-one to clear something up? KD would have been like, yeah, man, let's clear the air. He would have been like, no, this guy approached me at a non-media time. This wasn't a media opportunity. This guy shouldn't get to be here. I, I hate that guy. Like, there's, there's no way he was going to talk to him one-to-one. So that was just the biggest load of shit. Well, hold up. Uh, as as per usual, we're at opposite ends on, this, on these types of subjects. And here's the deal. What a guy like KD is saying is prior to you, and speaking generally, not you personally, prior to you guys being these big douchebag nerds saying all this crazy stuff, why didn't you just come to me and talk to me then? And again, I and I will reinforce this. Kevin Durant wasn't always like this. He became jaded as a result of his experiences. I'm not justifying all of his actions. I'm not justifying all of his behaviors because, quite frankly, you and I both know that I've laughed at a lot of them. And I'm entertained by a lot of them. But... What uh, If you're Kevin Durant in this situation, you're probably responding to something from two years ago. And that might sound crazy, but you're not responding. Like, you don't even care about right now. It, it's about it's about all of the stuff that you've gone through. So to be honest with you, no disrespect to Matt, because I do agree that he's good. He's good at, put, at, at pumping the timeline, just like you are. You, know, you guys are both good at you know, putting stuff out on the timeline, you know, kicking up the conversation. It, it's good for NBA Twitter, even if I disagree with your guys' stances at, 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 at some points. Um, he, didn't have to, he didn't have to use Kevin Durant's name. We all, you know, he he could have he made that point without saying, just like KD. He brought, it, he brought this upon himself, and I understand why KD said sensitive ass. No, okay, but like, again, I don't care. Like, the Matt aspect, whatever. Say whatever you want. Like, you use KD's name, he can reply. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think Matt's right. Like, KD, we all were disappointed. We all didn't like the decision to go to Golden State. Yeah. We're allowed to feel that way. And KD's allowed to be like, eat shit, because yep. this is my life, and I want to go to Golden State. All of that's fair. My point is, and I did find the tweet, so he didn't delete it. My apologies. Kevin Durant said, he's infatuated with me <laughs> in regards to Drew. But Drew always scared to say anything in person. Just awkward head nods. Like, bullshit, man. I, like, I've been around scrums. There is not... There's very few players who allow a rapport where they're like, hey, yeah, let's just go for a walk and talk. You know, like, he's scared to say anything. Yeah, he's scared to say anything because they're only allowed to talk to you at certain times, in certain capacities. You're allowed to cut it whenever you want. You have PR people around you, etc., etc. And you know damn well that there wasn't an opening for a real conversation. That's my point. If Don't he's a- act like you're an open book and you could just... Man to man, work things out if there was an issue because that has not been opened up. But that's the thing. If if Drew's a beat guy, did, did you did you say that he is? I don't I don't know how often he's around. Okay, so if he you know, and, and I won't I won't go too deep in this, but if he's a beat guy, he's around. Yeah, he is around uh, the players a lot more than like say some of us that would just be in a scrum in a in a, in a one off game. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it is what it is. Uh, no disrespect to Drew Siller, I don't know that guy, but I will say I've been in the locker room many, many times. I covered for three, you know, four and a half years. I was in, I was in the locker room many, many times. I was that awkward guy, especially early on when I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I was actively questioning what the hell am I doing in here with these guys? Like, how did I get here? We, you know, what, what is this all about? What is this life? 
Um, I was that awkward guy, but I also saw plenty of dudes, and I'm not saying not saying Drew was one of those guys, but it's clearly a dudes that fit the description of what Kevin was you know was describing. Awkward guys, just head nods, you know, just you know, you know, just kind of be like on, along the peripheral that never really said anything, but would be the most boisterous people on Twitter talking about you know like how they were in there and engaged and things of that nature when that wasn't the case. Yeah, and I mean we we could have a conversation about that too. Yeah, because the. There's a reason that that exists. And, you know, I can tell you from my experiences, like the two or three favorite guys of the team or the stars or PR, whoever it is that makes the decision. And it is different team to team. I got to say, like some stars have a lot more say in who's Mm -hmm. talking when they're talking and some don't. Some teams PR run everything. And I I mean, I could tell stories and get myself in trouble, but I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But but the honest the honest truth is like there's a reason that so many guys stand around awkwardly because there are certain media guys who who aren't having it. Like if you mm-hmm. try to ask a question during a segment, they're going to try to get your your cred pulled or they're going to push you out or they're going to talk shit about you. And, and it, it can be pretty contentious. Oh. So finding a way to break in, and I, again, I'm not speaking for Drew. I don't know what the relationship or how yeah. involved he is. I'm just saying in general, it can be like, I remember one of my first times, and again, this is hockey, not not basketball, but I was working, you know, sports at Flames and this new guy, I'd never seen him. I've been there all season. He came in, didn't say anything, came in, didn't say anything. Third game, he tried to ask like a really in-depth analytical question. And if you think NBA ha- fans hate stats, mm-hmm. man, NHL fans, <laughs> they're not having it. You just got to be old, white, and have watched hockey for 30 years. That's all Otherwise, it takes. That's all, that's all you need. Um, but don't you dare ask anything about a stat that would involve any research outside of what I've done from being white and old. And uh, Did he have a stick? Did he hit the puck? Yes, there, that's, yeah. a, that's what it is. And this kid asked a good question, and I was like, good for him, man. Mm-hmm. And I never saw him again. And everyone flamed him. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the main guy at Sportsnet was like, stupid kid. This is why we shouldn't let kids in here. Yep. And they all just shit on him, and I never saw him again. And it's like, that is the type of atmosphere you're dealing with somewhere. So I'm just going to throw that out, too. I'm glad you mentioned that, because look, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I was covering when John Black... I don't know if you know who that is. He, he's a former PR, you know, PR, uh, what VP or, or president or whatever for the Lakers. Uh, now Allison Bogley, you know, has that position. She's all absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but I was covering when he in the he had been with the organization for 25, 30 years. He was, you know, great friends with Mitch Kupchak, and you know, he was he went back with the late, you know, Dr. Bus, right? Uh, John Black at that time, you know, this was you know, I started like 2013, 2014, you know, like in that range. At that time, when he would walk into the locker room and see us standing there, oh, we got the blogger kids here, right? And I was like, I would sit there like, bro, I'm like 34 years old, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, but he, he, he would walk past you and just give you all shit. So I, I totally get that. There there can be a contentious relationship in a locker room, in particular along the way when it comes to bloggers. But I will also say that because I came in when KD was a young guy, I was I was able to you know cover his first three, four, maybe even five, you know, you know, five years, you know, like you know, like in that range where he was in the league. And I can tell you he was one of the more accessible folks that were, you know, one of the most more accessible stars. That, that that were around, and I'm not saying that just take up for him. I promise it's the truth. Yeah, I know what I hear you, and I, I mean things did change when he went to Golden State. Yeah, but but there was he was treated differently because Westbrook was the punching bag when he was in Golden. This State, is true, or in Oklahoma City. This is true, and all of a sudden and he then, he became the punching bag. Yeah, and then it changed. So um, let's let's get to our Mount Rushmores because we're at an hour and we're 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 going long. But right. so before we do that, with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. 
From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. All right, once again, one form of home entertainment to another. Guys, are you looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they actually work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't even have to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, last week we did the Atlantic, um, Mount Rushmore. So if you're curious, that was on our Thursday episode last week. Uh, we went through Toronto, Boston, Philly, Brooklyn, and New York. Um, don't get me started on that New York one again. <laughs> this this week we're going to do the Southeast Division. Um, I will save Miami for last because that is far and away the most interesting one, and there's going to be a moment there. Um, so Orlando. The Orlando Magic, in their honorable mention slot, had Grant Hill. Okay. Then they had Tracy McGrady, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, and Dwight Howard in the number one spot. Okay. Or are you different here? I actually agree 100% with every single part of this. I had uh, I had Grant Hill, you know, in my in my honorable mention, uh, specifically because you know, unfortunately, he played less than 200 games in like six seasons. Uh, you know, yes, he was great, you know, when he when he could play, but you know, just injuries, you know, just were rough. Uh, Nick Anderson, while the missed free throws are, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, that's what a lot of us think of. You know, he played 10 years at a decent level with Orlando, so I do think that he should get some mention, even though he's not in, he's not on their Mount Mount Rushmore. But yeah, I had T Mac. Uh, four-time All-Star, uh, you know, with them. Penny, four-time All-Star with them. Three-time All-NBA guy. Uh, Shaq, four-time All-Star again, and, and he had that finals run. Uh, but Dwight should be the number one guy because he was a six-time All-Star, four-time rebounding champ, and three-time Defensive Player of the Year with them. Yeah, and I, I had the same four. Um, okay. You know, things had gone differently with Grant Hill, or if Doc Rivers had let Tim Duncan's lady come on the plane, mm. maybe this list would have been different, but... Is what it is. Is what it is. I had the same four. So no real disagreements there. Um, other guys to get some votes. Scott Skiles, Hito Turgaloo, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> Nikola Vucevic, Jameer Nelson, and Nick Anderson. Okay. No other votes. So I nailed the field pretty yeah. well, I think. Okay. Washington Wizards, Bullets, Tandem. Um, this this was a bit bit tougher. Maybe tell me who you had before I tell you. So I went. I really went back, back and forth because remember last week when we talked about Earl Monroe and you were like, yeah, you know, like I see him more of a bullet. I look back at his numbers, man. Yeah, he was a rookie of the year and he was a two-time All-Star, but his his better years, now better years in terms of actual production and actual success were with the Knicks. But I still will go ahead and I'll put him here. But I went back and forth on him because I, I honestly think that Elvin Hayes should get this spot. Um, but I, I got Earl Monroe. I got Wes Unseld. And I got Gilbert and I got John. And I know a lot of people might think that that's, you know, recency bias. But if, if you really take a step back and look at, you know, what they've done. John Wall, five-time All-Star, All-NBA guy, All-Defensive guy. Gilbert was a three-time All-Star in the, you know, in his, you know essentially his three years there. Uh, he was putting up numbers of, you know, 26, 29, and 28 a night. 
Um, if anybody go complains about Gilbert, I do understand taking him out for one of those other Hall of Fame guys, but those are my guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I had uh, well, first actually, shouts to Varun, who's mm-hmm. our producer, and he was giving us his thoughts. He had Wes Unseld, Earl Monroe, John Wall, Gilbert Arenas, and Brad Beal as his honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Also noted Anton Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um, the voters had uh, Bradley Beal in their honorable mention, so they're on par there. Elvin Hayes. Wes Unseld, John Wall, and Gilbert Arenas. Hayes and Unseld were part of that title team. Yeah. And they were the pillars. Mm-hmm. And, and Unseld has an MVP. So they got to be there. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that they are because they're older names. Gilbert Arenas was better at his peak than John Wall. I don't care. So yeah, I'm, was... I'm, glad, I'm glad he's there too. The, the only thing, the only one, I had Walt Bellamy in over John Wall, who is a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. So I... I'm... And, and I'm good with that. Like, honestly, like, you, you know, anytime it's a Hall of Fame guy and they played a majority, actually, time out. The note that I have for Walt Bellamy is, yes, it's a Hall of Fame career, but he only played the two years early on for them. That's the reason why I didn't have him in there. He only played two years for them? Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should have done Pearl then. Maybe I'm mistaken. Let me double check. Go, go, go yeah. ahead and I'll, keep, I'll, I'll take a look. But, but yeah, so that, that was my one thing. But I, I feel like they were more open because Walt could have, I think, had an argument um, – Wall obviously got in, but yeah, Anton Jameson too did get a lot of votes. Didn't quite make it, but um, let's go to Charlotte. <clears throat> Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. This <laughs> this one was uh, <laughs> not exactly teeming with with superstars here either. But um, who did you have? Uh, Charlotte. Uh, yeah, it's, it was tough because like I was like I don't really even have four. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, shout out to Dale Curry. You know, shout out to Wardale Senior. He's got a six man of the year. He's my honorable mention. But it's Larry Johnson, Lonzo Mourning, Glenn uh, Glenn Rice, and Kemba Walker. Glenn Rice, you know, three time All Star, All Star MVP. Kemba Walker, three time All Star. Uh, Alonzo Mourning, you know, wasn't there that long, but two time All Star, and Larry Johnson, two time All Star, and you know, the whole Grandma Mom movement that was uh, really fun. Yeah, okay, so the honorable mention, they had Glenn Rice. I had him in, mm-hmm. so. Um, they had Kemba Walker, or sorry, so Glenn Rice, Muggsy Bogues, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson, Kemba Walker. Now, I think Jared Wallace should have been part of this. Yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason why I didn't put him in there is because they were so terrible when he was there. Like, I watched all those, like, all of those games, and they were so bad that it, it, it tainted my opinion of, you know, like, of his actual impact. Yeah, and, and I get that, and he was terrible, and he was only a one, I mean, the team was terrible, and he was only a one-time All-Star, mm-hmm. but he averaged 16.7 rebounds, played six years for them. Yeah. I mean, Alonzo Mourning only played, like, two and a half years there. It, it, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, you think of Zoe. I'm not saying kick him out. Maybe you kick out Muggsy. But, like, imagine how terrible the Charlotte Bobcats years would have been without Gerald Wallace. He was literally the only good thing that team had for six years. If I'm not mistaken, Zoe went to the playoffs, though. So, like, that— Well, th- like, didn't, didn't, didn't they go one time with, with Wallace? Did they? Yeah, they did. Oh, they yeah, went one? Okay. One they, they, it was just that they were so bad other oh, than the other years they that I, I forgot about that. <laughs> Forgotten about that. Yeah, I mean this 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 is a tough bunch, but I I felt like Gerald Wallace like I, it's the Chris Bosh argument that I had for the Raptors where mm-hmm. like this this franchise is just unbearably horrific without them for that six year period, which is understandable. Um, okay, let's go to Atlanta. All right, who they so have? Atlanta slash St. Louis Hawks. Let's do it. Um, okay, so in their honorable mention, they had Lenny Wilkins, Hall of Famer. Interesting. They had. Al Horford at number four. Hmm. They had Joe Johnson at number three. They had Bob Pettit at number two. And they had Dominique Wilkins at number one. 
So mine are completely different. Um, Hawks fans can be mad if they'd like. I've got, uh, you know, you know some of those guys, Joe and, you know, those guys in my, and as well as Pete Maravich because he played his first four seasons, two all-star appearances, uh, you know, in my honorable mention. But I've got Bob Pettit. He's an 11-time all-star. Um, uh, yeah, you won a ring there. He was a 26 and 16 you know, career guy. You can't you can't leave him off. Uh, Lenny Wilkins should be in there. He's a five, he's a five time All Star. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know he's he, to me he's one of their best players. Uh, I actually uh, jumped a bunch of people with this. Dikembe Mutombo is in there for me. He's a three he's a three time All Star and he still and he still played very well for them for I think four or five years. And Dominique is clearly the number one guy. Nine time All Star, seven time All NBA. He's got a scoring champ you know championship. It just is. Well, I I mean, yeah, I, I know Dominique Wilkins is the first guy you think of, but it, I probably should be Pettit. Mm-hmm. I mean, two, two-time MVP, beat beat a Bill Russell Celtics team, won a title. I know it was St. Louis, it wasn't Atlanta, but um, so those those two were the unbreakables. I was okay with this. I feel like Joe Johnson, Hawks Joe Johnson is slightly overrated. Yes. Considering there are other Hall of Famers that could have gone in here over him, but... I know that, you know, again, he was kind of like the face of that team in the most recent competitive years. So, um, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I'm okay with it. I don't want to say anything negative about Joe Johnson because he's actually a really cool guy. Like, I like straight up in the locker room, he's a real cool guy. But Twitter has definitely inflated his, uh, you know, his career a bit over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to compare him, think about – like he was nice, but he was not like a superstar nice. Exactly, and yeah. and that's okay. It's totally yeah. fine to be nice, but not that. Um, okay, so the last one, which is Miami, which was man all the way through. Every time I checked this, I think the, I had it up three days. Mm. Um, the, the this four spot and the honorable mention flipped and flipped and flipped and flipped. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna go the other way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, number one for the Miami Heat, Dwayne Wade. Yeah. Right. No, yes. No, no surprises. Yes. Number two, LeBron James. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's easy. Then number three is Alonzo Mourning, which I agreed with. I had it the same. He was there. He was the best player on some really good teams prior to Wade. Hmm. Um, yeah. No problems there. Mm-hmm. The fourth call was really tough. So Chris Bosh, clear argument. Third part of the Heatles won two titles. Really good. Tim Hardaway Sr. was the number two to Alonzo on some really good teams that didn't break through Jordan years. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, who they don't win a title prior to LeBron coming if he's not there, kind of revamped that franchise in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then Udonis Haslam, which is like the strangest case um, that anybody <laughs> has in this, but they just love the guy, and he's got all the history of the franchise, even though, I mean, he was really never, ever that good. Um he was never really good yeah. at all. Um, but, okay, so this is how it shook out. It was Wade James Zoe, and then Udonis Haslam got the fourth spot on their Rushmore, and Tim Hardaway Sr. got the honorable mention. But this is how close it was. Okay, so again, it's choose four, um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing most of these average about 440 voters. Okay, so mm-hmm. Haslam got 184 votes. Tim Hardaway Sr. got 183 votes. Chris Bosch got 181 votes, and Shaquille O'Neal got 176 votes. Hmm. So basically, like, every person was split on those four. I, and I, I get it. I get it. 
I don't want to. I don't want to say bad things about Dinosaur Haslam because he seems like a real cool guy, and I get. I totally get a fan base really latching onto a guy that embraces the city, embraces the vibe of the area, embraces the franchise, and really just holds on. You know, like you know, it, it's just a, a mainstay for a long period of time. But there's not a quite. There's not. There's not even a conversation. Get him off of this list. Stop. Okay. Yeah. Any not, any of the other four. He's, any of the other three guys there would have been fine. Yeah. Like we're, we're not having. We're not even doing that. Okay, Tim Hardaway and Alonzo uh, uh, Mourning were my honorable mentions because yes, they were both very good pieces of some of some pretty good teams that were elite, that were also that were also competitive. But the four uh, the four greatest uh, Miami Heat players are Dwayne Wade number one, LeBron James number two, Dwayne Wade thirteen time All Star, three time champ, LeBron four time All Star while he was there, two time champ, Shaquille O'Neal is the third greatest, three time All Star. Yes, he was on the All Star team three times with as a member of the Miami second Heat. Second MVP, uh, second MVP, and he was a champ. And Chris Bosh. A six-time All-Star, two-time champ, is the fourth best player. Any of these Heat fans that are saying any other names than those are crazy. Yeah, I, I get the UD pull. I love that they vibe with a role player. Yeah. I love that he had a long career. Mm-hmm. I, it's the same thing with Nick Collins and no KC. Absolutely. Yeah, that, like they're retiring his number. I get it, man. He was there his whole career. They loved him. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to leave. He embraced those fans. He embraced the move. I get it. Like you're allowed to vibe with a player like that, but like the Mount Rushmore over guys that won titles and, uh, com- con- sorry, contributed to titles. Nah. Y'all being sentimental out there, sensitive thugs. Y'all all need hugs. <laughs> what? Hey, what would be your all-time Atlantic team? My all-time Atlantic team. Oh, we forgot to do this for. I know. Um, I felt felt bad. Uh, oh, for so you we're going back to Atlantic. Oh no, not not Atlantic. My bad. You, you know, Southeast. I didn't, I didn't update the note. Uh, uh, Southeast. Thank you. Uh, you go first, and then I'll and I'll hit you. LeBron, Wade, Shaq, Dominique. I have That's a feeling cool. you're gonna do Pettit. Oh, you did. Oh, you did that. You did the Rushmore. Uh, no, yeah, I'll take. I'll take Orlando, Shaq, because we're gonna run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, Bron, Wade, and T Mac. Ooh, Orlando T Mac, huh? Okay. Yeah, I feel like Orlando T Mac at his peak was nicer than than Dominique Wilkins at his peak. Is that hot? Is that not hot? I want to be upset with that, but I can't because I have to look at it deeper. Because let's let's be real, that's a conversation. Uh, if we expand the, that any further than like a two year sample, probably not. But mm-hmm. but but, but those one two yeah the, the, the uh, T Mac honestly it's especially the year where he made the dumbest comment of all time when he says like, yeah. it's good to be yeah. out of the it was good to be out of the first round finally and then you know, of course they didn't make it out. Uh, yeah, that T Mac was just incredible. So. It is comical how many guys you know have blown a three-one lead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as everyone begs on on Curry, Kobe did it. T Mac did it. Fi- uh, finals versus first round. Stop this. We not having this. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's happening. Finals versus first round. <laughs> finals versus first round. And finals coming off of a seventy. You know, seventy. You know, true. Three true. And There's context. There's yeah. reasons to make fun of Curry. I'm just yeah. saying. I know. Uh, and before before we wrap this one up. I haven't watched a ton of TV, so I'm like, the what are you binging? Mm. I did finally get around to City of God, Ooh, which nice. every time I'm like, man, what are some movies that people haven't talked about enough that are great? And every time I'm like, best mobster movies. This one comes up. And so I finally got around to seeing it. It is very good. Um, I'm going to just check my notes here. I gave an 86 out of 100. And, and I, th- I think it, it did exceed my expectations, even though I was hoping it would be very good based on recommendations. What this movie does very unique, and I, I know you've seen it, but it's been a while, mm-hmm. is it brings you all the way in on the violence at times, 
because it's this movie about, you know, Rio de Janeiro, City of God, you know, the kind of the come up of some kids forming, like, you know, an organized crime that leads into a game, gang war. It's based on real life. And, like, there's all this poverty and violence and depravity, and at times in the movie, you see none of it, and it's kind of, like, censored. And then at other times, it just, boom, we're going to shoot kids against, the, like, a six-year-old kid who's crying hysterically mm-hmm. against the wall. And it, the shock effect was, was, was noted. Um, but I, I think a very, very good movie, excellent personalities, good writing, and the fact that it's based on a real story really kicked it dead. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't seen it in forever. Like, it was one of those movies where, like, in the early aughts, like, I, I think that movie came out in, what, like, 02, 03? Yeah, 02. Yeah, um, you know, from, like, say say all the way through, like, 05, 06, I, I would, that would be heavy in the rotation, even though it was such heavy, you know, uh, subject matter. Uh, but and, and I definitely need to circle back and watch it. But, yeah, no, it, it's one of the, it was one of those movies where it's like we're not going to apologize for this this is the this is the reality so you're going to have to deal with it which i always appreciate yeah i mean i i'm glad i'm glad i added it to the resume i i don't know it always gets brought up with like the mob movies and it's really hard to compare this like american mafia type Mm -hmm. movies but it is it is a really good movie um i was thinking so jabari and i probably towards the end of the month every movie we're watching we are rating out of 100, and we're going to compile a list, and we'll we'll make that publicly accessible so that you guys can go and check in and, and weigh in on how you feel. Um, but of the 20 movies I've written down since we've started getting ready for this, the 86 is the highest I've given a movie. So, yeah, and, and, and let's and let's be honest, it's it's a it's an actual great you know like great film. So it should be it should have been the highest ranked movie that we've done so far. Granted, a lot of the other movies we've watched so far have not been great. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the other movies were entertainment, and this is an actual film that is that happens to be entertaining. Yeah. And in Um, so on on your front, to to wrap us up today, I know you've been you've been rewatching The Wire as your what you're so for what you've been binging. Is that is that what we're looking at? Yeah, you know it's funny. It it it, and times like this, I guess we go back to what you know what comforts us, like whether it's comfort food or you know certain drink or whatever you know the case may be. And for me, it's been shows. So yeah, you know, recent weeks I've been talking about The Sopranos. I actually jumped back into The Wire and. It was really out of frustration because of some of the reactions that I've seen some from people that very clearly it's it's kind of like this you know the the opinion that I have about people that will speak about players that they very clearly did not watch and then you know, the same deal like there are people that didn't watch the wire all the way through and they acknowledge it I stopped on like episode eight but will speak as though they completely understand what it you know, what that show you know means and what it, you know what it did uh, so I started watching it you know for that reason and I got to season two and I'm going to circle I'm going to say this. All of the folks that you know complain about season two and, you know, and and all of that stuff. To be honest with you, I I put you in the two boxes. Either you were only watching it for the gangster shit, and if that's the case, just say that, and that's totally fine. Because it it, it while there's some of that element in there, it does go away from that for large portions of season two. Uh, so it's either people that were only watching it for gangster shit, or people that don't truly appreciate uh, character development and storytelling. Because season two of The Wire is actually one of the better seasons of The Wire because it's, you know, the, uh, the, the, the ton of storylines that it sets up, the showing layers, the you know, showing the, of the layers of corruption, how it, you know, how the, you know, it can go from, you know, truly go from, uh, you know, uh, state officials and, um, you know, d- d- private citizens and, you know, portsmen and, you know, kind of across the board. So for me, The Wire season two is what I'm binging currently. And I think it is one of the more over underrated, excuse me, uh, pieces of you know pieces of um, art that we have out there. 
See, the, the thing on The Wire, it, I'm not always... I love The Wire, but I'm not always loving it in the same way mm. that it's it, it's loved by, I think, a lot of like the NBA Twitter following um, mm-hmm. that, I, that I interact with. I did throw up a TV poll on Twitter, if you want to go take a look. Uh, we're about 3,400 votes, and I, I feel like based on... You know, my handle on, on the conversation, the four obvious candidates were Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, The Sopranos, and The Wire. Breaking Bad's leading that poll with about 40% of the vote, then Thrones at 24%, Wire at 23%, Sopranos at 13%. Now, Lost is my second favorite show of all time. Mm-hmm. It's Thrones, Lost, and then The Wire for me. When I started watching The Wire, I wanted the gangster shit. Mm-hmm. I wanted, you know, the, the king stay the king chess episode really sets a tone and i wanted Mm -hmm. the empire and i wanted the battles and i wanted the shootouts and season one delivers that you know in spades yeah and then two two takes a bit of a turn and really the rest of the series takes a bit of a turn because it does get back to it but never in the same way Mm -hmm. um anyways i enjoyed it all it wasn't what i expected going in and you know like you said a, a couple episodes ago you think mcnulty's the main character and then he kind of goes away um so so it has layers and i i think one of the things i struggle with the most is that it, i love the the ending i think the 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 ending the wire had to me was mm-hmm. perfect and a lot of people absolutely hate the ending which i've always struggled with because like thrones is the best television show ever to me and the first six seasons are just it's a rung above everything else and then season seven and eight really let people down in a lot of ways so I get why people kind of backed off because the ending is important wait Josh but people also complain about the ending of The Wire and I thought the ending of The Wire was perfect but what are you talking about Game of Thrones ended after season 6 what, what, yeah. what, what is this that you're speaking of <laughs> sorry I, I, you know I have to go for the low hanging fruit uh, look the Wire's ending is perfect because it's letting you know life continues to roll right the hell on all these figures are going to continue to, you know, uh, you know, die off, get replaced, get regenerated, get, you know, like it, it's all gone. It's all going to continue. Avon, you know, the, you know, the, the, the hypothetical Avon would have gotten out after a couple years and been right back after Marlowe if somebody else hadn't taken Marlowe out. And that is the brilliance of that, uh, of the way that David Simon told that story. So, yeah, yeah no, that, I'm with you. That's the thing that I don't understand. People say they hate the ending, but they never elaborate on it. And, and my thing is, like, that's the is, is the point of the whole show not that we live in a broken society with a broken system and we're doomed to repeat our past failures over and over until there's institutional change? Is that not? Yes. Is that not the vision of The Wire? And if it isn't, then maybe I missed it and I, no. I need to. But that was brilliantly expe- expressed at the end. And basically, and it comes back again to that beautiful, the most iconic scene in any show ever is, is the, the King Stay the King chessboard scene. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, all the pieces just reset and we play again. Yeah. And Bo- and, and Bodie's, you know, one of Bodie's like, you know, final lines in that scene is it says where he says like, yeah, but you like where he says um, like the pawn doesn't, you know, like now I, now I can't remember exactly how it's phrased, but he's basically saying like. Even if I don't, you know, even if I don't wear the crown for a long time, at least I got to wear it. And and that is exactly the point. Like these, you know, certain a certain element of society that is, you know, that's what's driving them. And it's not about any of the others. It's just being able to wear the crown. So I, I loved how it wrapped up. I'm glad you brought that up. I think, to be honest with you, a lot of people like a pretty bow at the end. And this is not Breaking Bad shape because I love Breaking Bad. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. And it was masterfully done. 
But the reason why I think a lot of people like that is because it gave them some sort of finality. Whereas The Wire, it leaves you going, oh, shit, all of that, it's still going to happen? Yeah. And, and and that's the thing. I forget the kid's name. Um, it's probably been 10 years now since I've seen it. But in the final season, like even like Omar gets got by the kid because anyone can get got by the streets. Yep. But there's always going to be another kid who's hurt and desperate that fills that, that role. Michael. And just like every, everybody just gets a reset. And I thought like combined with the most iconic episode of the season with the chess earlier and you just think about like – the board just resets. We just play again yep. because as long as the as long as the system is broken, as long as the world is broken, we're doomed to this reality. And I thought that was beautiful. And like that, honestly, there were points in the wire where I, I don't I don't want to offend anyone, but where I was kind of bored and I felt like the episodes were kind of dragging. Mm-hmm. And because it got away from sort of that gangster shit that it had and the higher pace that it had in the, in the first season. And once they got Stringer, I was like, I'm kind of struggling to find. <laughs> my attachment points and my plot points that I'm interested in, but it wasn't about mm-hmm. any of these characters on their own. It was about the combination of this world that we live in and the fact that everyone's roles kind of chosen to for them to some extent because of, you know, how they grew up and where they grew up and, and what the system is. And so I again I would I would love to hear someone who said they hated the ending explain it because I thought it perfectly wrapped up everything that it set out to do. They can explain it because and, and what you just said is the perfect way to end this. Do and by the way, Dookie became bubbles. Michael became Omar. Yeah, uh, could, could, you know, Kennard would have either been, ended up being like a Chris Partlow or a Marlowe. Like, it, yeah. it, it all just continues. Yeah, and on that note, we're going to wrap up episode 11. Please like, rate, subscribe, shoot us a review. We appreciate it. We will do... Um, let's do Pacific. Let's do the yeah. Pacific Mount Rushmore's uh, on Thursday morning. So this episode will come Monday. You'll be hearing this Monday mornings in your feed. And Thursday morning, we will do the Pacific Division. So Lakers, Clippers, Kings, Suns, Warriors. Take care.